Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Thank you for joining me once again as we explore a topic that is on everyone's mind. Donald Trump will become the 45th President of the United States this month. He won a stunning victory against Hillary Clinton last year in November that has many world leaders reeling and national pundits scrambling to figure out why the predictions in the polls were so far off from reality. But before we begin, let me just say thank you for your support for Keep the Faith. We're living in amazing times, and people need to know how to interpret them. Keep the Faith continues to provide insightful analysis month after month while urging our listeners to yield themselves to Christ so they will be ready for heaven. Your support means that we can keep sending our CD preachers to homes and hearts all over the world. So we thank you from the bottom of our hearts as we reach out to lost souls. Please be sure and sign up for our daily email briefings as well. You don't want to miss the little news items that have prophetic significance. And now more than ever, you need to stay tuned to the prophecies of Scripture. Keep the Faith is here to give you a synopsis and help you understand the issues. You can still order your set of the prophetic secrets of the New World Order DVDs by calling our office. Be sure and get your copy so you can understand the foundations of the prophetic movements and developments around you. These things will affect you personally. And now with Donald Trump to begin his presidency of the United States, be sure and invite your friends to join Keep the Faith so they can get our prophetic analysis as well. As we begin, let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are living in such tumultuous times that it seems like we cannot find peace anywhere. But you provide peace in our hearts, even in the midst of chaos. As we study today, please send your Holy Spirit to teach us how to understand recent events correctly. Help us to realize that even our favorite politicians may say or do things that will fulfill Bible prophecy. Most of all, we need to see how current events are linked to the second coming of Jesus in the end times. Thank you for your promise that you will help us understand through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. For the next four years, the mainstream press will focus on Donald Trump's presidency, picking out the most inflammatory soundbite of the day to stir up national and international reactions. What you need, however, is serious prophetic analysis to unpack what is going on so you don't get caught up in the hype and confusion of conflicting voices, emotion-packed reactions, vague illusions, and other rhetoric. What's important to you and me is not the politics so much as their impact on fulfilling prophecy. It's not the law enforcement, trade, immigration, energy, and environmental policies that matter. It's not terrorism, national security, financial regulation, and health care that's going to capture our attention at Keep the Faith. Yes, they'll play a role, all of them. 
But what will engage us most powerfully will be the incredible accuracy of Bible prophecy in predicting what is to take place in our world at the end of time. You'll need Keep the Faith to keep you informed with in-depth prophetic analysis and intelligence. So, if you're not a subscriber to Keep the Faith, you should be. And if you are, please share your CDs with your friends and family and invite them to join, too. The inauguration of Donald Trump on January 20, 2017 gives us reason to consider the prophetic implications of his meteoric rise to the office of President of the United States. While almost no one took Mr. Trump seriously when he announced his bid for the presidential nomination, he nevertheless managed to outstrip 16 of his Republican challengers to reach the Republican nomination. This political novice also managed to defy all the statistics, all the political analysts, and all the elites who tried to discredit him at every turn, and won the presidency anyway against a well-heeled, well-financed globalist who had much political experience and influence. No president of the United States can escape the serious prophetic nature of the office. Prophecy has so much to do with the U.S. Constitution and with the role of the United States that the actions of its president are especially significant. While other world leaders also have a play in prophecy, the United States is mentioned in Revelation 12.16 as the place of refuge for God's persecuted church. The earth, or wilderness place, helped the woman, God's church, and opened her mouth, and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. It is also mentioned in Revelation 13, as joining with Rome, and eventually, instead of acting like a lamb, it will speak like a dragon, or Satan, to achieve papal purposes. It will become a persecuting power, and especially of those who do not go along with the religious laws that will be imposed during a significant crisis. Therefore, the United States has special place in fulfilling prophecy. Whether you favored a Trump presidency or a Clinton presidency, the fact is that the office of President of the United States will always have a significant influence on prophetic developments. When I took on the ministry of Keep the Faith more than 12 years ago, the United States president was George W. Bush. When we analyzed his prophetic role, some criticized us as being anti-Republican and anti-Bush, but that was false. We were not concerned about politics or political parties. We were concerned about prophecy and how the president was fulfilling prophecy. We knew that all presidents impact Bible prophecy, and the Bush presidency was very prophetic, because the president was very aggressive in undermining the U.S. Constitution during the War on Terror. He had Roman Catholic advisors all around him. He was especially interested in following their counsel. One wonders how much the waterboarding of captured Muslim extremists was motivated or justified by these connections. After all, torture in secret prisons was in fact a Roman Catholic practice in the Middle Ages. But Revelation 13 tells us that those who do not worship in the global way will be persecuted and killed. Under President Bush, we had a glimpse of what was to come as Americans repudiated their constitution in favor of security. To persecute those who do not go along with religious laws, every principle of the Constitution of the United States must be repudiated. President Bush invoked torture in secret prisons, 
trial by tribunal rather than trial by jury of peers, indefinite detention, surveillance on U.S. citizens without a warrant, all of which were violations of America's principles enshrined in its constitution. This also prepared the way to undermine the rule of law, which would only grow under President Obama. When President Obama was elected to become the 44th U.S. President, we started our focus on the prophetic role that he was playing. Supporters of Mr. Obama began criticizing us for our prophetic coverage again, some of them even accusing us of racism. But again, this had nothing to do with race, but with religion and the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. During Obama's term, we saw the first salvo in his major assault on religious liberty through the so-called Affordable Care Act, which has now proven itself to be anything but affordable for a huge number of people. The Affordable Care Act required business owners to fund aspects of medical insurance that were offensive to the religious convictions of many Christians. We also saw the attack on religious liberty in his method of handling gay rights issues, which is even starting to put pressure on churches to conform to its agenda now. And now, even many of those who criticized us for our prophetic coverage of President Obama's term see the prophetic problems that he brought to America. So as we embark on a new presidential platform, let us not merely knee-jerk to our political biases. Instead, let us plead with the Lord to show us how to understand the president's prophetic role and how his office will be used to prepare for the final crisis of God's people. It's not political pundits that matter, as interesting as they might be. What matters is the connection to end-time events that helps us understand that Jesus' return is near. We must discern the prophetic from the political. So let us begin by reading a scripture text that may well have major significance in the next four to eight years. Listen to what the Bible says the United States will do. Revelation 13, 11 through 17 says, And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. And he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed." And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. All heaven was deeply interested in the recent U.S. election especially since the ecumenical movement has now matured to the point where there are very few churches left that have not been having ecumenical dialogue in some form with the papacy. It may well be prophetically time for the churches in America to be given more power so that they can begin to push an authoritarian president like Donald Trump in the direction of religious worship laws. Think about it. Eight years ago, the ecumenical movement was nowhere near as mature as it is today. Pope Francis has changed the dynamic, and now many churches 
that were on the sidelines have joined the ecumenical movement. Even Seventh-day Adventists, who have long opposed ecumenism, have become involved in some ecumenical meetings. Could we be nearing the time for the prophesied coalition of religious leaders to press for religious laws and use superhuman efforts to suppress the truth? Here's an interesting statement in The Great Controversy, page 607. The clergy will put forth almost superhuman efforts to shut away the light, lest it should shine upon their flocks. By every means at their command, they will endeavor to suppress the discussion of these vital questions. The Church appeals to the strong arm of civil power, and in this work, Papists and Protestants unite. The angels were also interested in the election because globalization had risen to such a power that it was perhaps threatening to cut short the preparation time God's people needed to get ready for the coming crisis. Perhaps they saw that globalization needed to slow down a little. On the other hand, perhaps they knew that it was also time for Christians to get more power so that worship laws could more likely develop. And while we don't know the mind of God, it's interesting to think about these things. Nearly every nation on earth was also watching carefully to see how the outcome would affect their geopolitical relations. People everywhere around the globe were very interested in who the American people would elect to be their next president. What they saw and what they read of media propaganda about Donald Trump alarmed them, but also convinced them that the Americans would surely bow to reason and elect Hillary as their next president. After all, Donald Trump was so radical and absurd, so out of step with inclusiveness and modern liberal thinking, that they thought it impossible that he would be elected president. What a shock they received when they woke up on November 9 to discover that Mrs. Clinton had lost to the maverick businessman that everyone supposedly loved to hate. First, some facts. Donald Trump was born and raised in New York City. He attended several schools, one of which was a two-year stint at Fordham University in New York, one of 28 Jesuit schools in the United States. Trump is no stranger to the Jesuits and the Catholic priests. At age 70, Trump is the oldest person elected to be president. He defeated Democrat Hillary Clinton, 69, who was the first woman nominated by a major party for U.S. president in its 240-year history. Trump will also be the first president since Eisenhower to have no experience in government. There have been four others prior to Ike. Many blue-collar workers who traditionally voted Democrat became Trump supporters because he appealed to their angst about losing their place in middle-class America. He won them 70% to 26%, and in those counties where unemployment is the highest, he won 60% of the vote against 37% to Mrs. Clinton. He cracked the so-called blue wall of reliably democratic states across the industrial Midwest and shattered Clinton's hopes of winning almost all of the battleground states as well. Many Americans found Donald Trump very entertaining and often repulsive, but their support of him was much more profound than merely watching a TV show. Many Americans, especially white working-class men and their women, were unhappy about the social engineering that Obama and his cronies had conducted on America, of which Mrs. Clinton was one. Most of all these Americans were angry that middle-class America was no longer middle-class, 
They viewed the ruling class globalists like President Obama and other establishment elites as having implemented policies and trade treaties that moved many middle-class jobs offshore. And because of immigration policies, many remaining jobs had been taken over by low-paid Latinos. And to many, a Clinton presidency represented more of the same. Many did not trust her honesty, integrity, and trustworthiness. Just so you know, I'm not against Latinos, or any race for that matter, but this is the situation in America right now that I'm describing. And in spite of the fact that a Gallup poll before the election indicated that 56% of Americans approved Mr. Obama's performance, American voters essentially repudiated President Obama's agenda that arose out of his own signature campaign slogan of hope and change. There must be some disconnect there. The vote for Trump was a full-throated protest for change again, even though they do not know what that change will be. And yes, the wives and other women connected to these disappointed working-class men, a large number of them from middle America, also voted for Trump, in spite of his coarse language and sexist behavior. After all, they reasoned, Bill Clinton's behavior was no better. It is the nature of politics that the voters eventually become dissatisfied with their leaders and parties, and they elect a leader from a different party. This is a fertile ground for manipulation by larger foreign powers, such as the papacy, or especially the Jesuits. This gives them opportunity to manipulate politicians to support their own agendas. It is the two-steps-forward, one-step-backward process of gradualism that leads the nation away from its moral moorings and into the control of higher supranational powers. I won't go into detail here for the sake of time on that. Mrs. Clinton should have known from the beginning that after eight years of President Obama, there was a lot of angst against what he stood for and had accomplished. She was in a dangerous spot from a political point of view, just because she was connected to him. But the leftist media kept presenting a picture of the race for president as if she was going to win it, and reassured her own biases. The stunning upset of Hillary Clinton was spectacular indeed. Not so much because Trump won the electorate by a wide margin of 306 to 232, but because the prognosticators, the analysts, the polls, and the media got it so wrong. The mainstream media depended on its own biases and on heavily biased polling to predict almost unanimously that Hillary Clinton would win the presidency. They ignored, ridiculed, and mocked those that disagreed with their consensus and predicted a Trump win. The Los Angeles Times is one of those that broke from the pack. Instead of using live pollsters, which apparently made some voters sheepish about admitting that they were supporting Trump, the LA Times used polling data from the Internet where people felt more free to say what they really think. Also, many of the polls did not get a true cross-section of rural America. They took their polling data from polls taken in New York, Washington, and from the states on the West Coast, which are inevitably liberal and inevitably supportive of Clinton, like California, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington. I might add that there was one other prognosticator that also predicted a Donald Trump victory and presidency 16 years ago. The Simpsons. A cartoon TV series ran a show in 2000 that had Bart Simpson trying to see his future. 
Lisa Simpson, his sister, is President of the United States. She says, As you know, we have inherited quite a budget crunch from President Trump. How bad is it, Secretary Van Houten? Van Houten responds by saying, We're broke. The Simpsons cartoons have predicted the future at least ten times. But the cartoon also shows a fictionalized Trump coming down an escalator that strikingly looks like the escalator he uses at the Trump Tower in New York. It also shows the familiar hand motions that Trump uses. While I don't put much stock in the Simpsons cartoon prognostications, I have never even watched them. I think it is ironic that they picked Trump as the future president. Not only that, it is even more ironic that the nation is broke after the Trump presidency. One could be forgiven for wondering whether there are some spiritualistic manifestations there. Let me also point out in this context that there is a very interesting, truly prophetic statement from the book Evangelism, page 235. When Protestant churches shall unite with the secular power to sustain a false religion, then will the papal Sabbath be enforced by a combined authority of church and state. There will be a national apostasy which will end only in national ruin. In the wake of Donald Trump's astonishing upset victory, media outlets went into meltdown. They had flubbed the predictions in seismic fashion. All the data, all the models, and all the predictions were all wrong. How could this happen? How could the media gurus be so wrong? I mean, they were so smug, so sure of themselves, so self-righteous when it came to predicting a Clinton win that they arrogantly mocked the off-press media that predicted a Trump victory and even derided their own liberal colleagues at the LA Times. The Trump victory dealt a devastating blow to media credibility and exposed something that the media had studiously tried to hide. What is clear now, especially in light of the undercover videos done by Project Veritas, of Democrats admitting to stoking violence at Trump rallies, which the media tried to ignore, is that they do not report journalistic facts unbiased and even-handedly. They report in support of their own agendas, often leftist or globalist agendas. Often they misrepresent the facts, or they do not report all the facts in order to gain their objective. This is what is otherwise known as lying. Now, with their credibility seriously undermined, perhaps the media were the biggest losers outside of the Clinton campaign itself. While Donald Trump was smearing Hillary Clinton, the mainstream media did everything they could to smear the Donald, so much so that they made the mistake of playing right into his own hands. They mocked him, derided him, and accused him. Their spin fell on deaf ears, but at the same time made many people more sympathetic to Trump. Most of Trump's supporters see him as imperfect but genuine. They see him as willing to stand up to the establishment elites, to stand with them rather than aloof from them. They see him as the best alternative in light of Hillary Clinton's questionable behavior. The mainstream liberal media just didn't get it. They did not want a politically conservative president no matter what. And they used every political pundit they could, every member of the elite they could engage, and every political tool they had in their arsenal. And amazingly, Trump overcame them all. With their credibility at stake, the media went into a funk for a while. 
They were forced to do some journalistic soul-searching and self-criticism. They were forced to evaluate the mathematical models, the assumptions, and survey methods they had used to predict elections. But they should have also done something that isn't likely to happen. Accept responsibility for ignoring facts, misrepresenting realities, and distorted reporting. Trump crushed the conventional wisdom of the pollsters. They wildly underestimated the number of hidden Trump supporters that were in rural America, especially. In fact, the leftist mainstream media was so deep in Clinton's camp, psychologically, that instead of reporting the news, they were reporting on their own fake realities. And that fakeness was part of the reason for Trump's victory. One key reason for the misfire was that pollsters and media pundits greatly overestimated Clinton's support among minorities and greatly underestimated Trump's support among white voters. The most conservative poll just before Election Day pegged Clinton's chance of winning at 71.4%, while another poll said she had a 99% chance of winning. Margaret Sullivan of the Washington Post said, the media didn't want to believe Trump could win, so they looked the other way. They didn't take rural America seriously. Make no mistake, Sullivan added, this is an epic fail. Then Sullivan quoted something very insightful from Peter Thiel, the gay founder of PayPal, an influential billionaire. The media is always taking Trump literally. It never takes him seriously, but it always takes him literally, Thiel said. Journalists want to know exactly how he would deport that many undocumented immigrants, or exactly how Trump would rid the world of the Islamic State. They wanted details. But a lot of voters think the opposite way. They take Trump seriously, but not literally. It reminds me of a very funny statement I have adapted for this presentation. You may have heard something like this before. I've abandoned my search for truth because I found a good lie. With one notable exception, the mainstream media was feeding on its own self-deception. And did you know that there's a Bible text that applies quite well to these media gurus? It's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. Because they do not love the truth, the Bible says, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. The media had so badly convinced itself that Clinton would win that Newsweek even printed 125,000 copies of its cover entitled Madame President and sent them to newsstands. Some were even sold apparently before it was realized that she had conceded the election. A national recall of the magazines was issued on the day after the election and the magazine went back to press to publish the previously approved and mocked up President Trump cover. Not only did Donald Trump take on Hillary Clinton, he took on the establishment press. And there was no love lost there. But Trump repeatedly broke every rule that is applied to politicians for generations, and repeatedly defied forecasts, assumptions, and expectations across the board. What is happening to America, my friends? Have we come so far down the track that there is nothing to rely on anymore? Friends, I must say, I do not believe that we can rely on our politicians to solve our problems. And we haven't been able to do that for decades. Yet people think that every new president that comes along is going to solve the nation's problems. They were so optimistic that they 
will deceive themselves into thinking that the new politician will do the job the previous one did not do. The massive media machine which laid out its intentions on behalf of Hillary Clinton for months may have well overplayed its hand in promoting Clinton. The American people don't trust the media the way they used to. They get their media from alternative sources these days, particularly on the Internet. The mainstream establishment media may well have helped Trump by their obviously biased reporting and propaganda. Human nature being what it is, the overly negative media coverage of Trump along with the rhetoric of politicians, elites, and even Mrs. Clinton herself, who characterized Trump's followers as being a basket of deplorables, racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, and Islamophobic, may have actually encouraged many Trump supporters who might not have gone out to vote, to do so. And that is in spite of the fact that Trump was rather caustic himself. Keep in mind, there's a backlash against the elites that is turning the world upside down. Think Brexit, Hungary, and the Philippines. Trump is part of that movement, whether he wants to be or not. Revelation 13, 11 through 14 says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. What kind of power will the United States exercise? Friends, this is dictatorial power, religious dictatorial power. Donald Trump has offered himself as a solution to America's problems. He is a businessman that is used to demanding compliance with his plans and goals. Will he act the same way when he's president? Will he exercise dictatorial power through executive orders like President Obama, President Bush, President Clinton, and many presidents before them? And what of Trump's obligations to the evangelical vote, who were so crucial to his victory? Do you think they will not let him forget that they put him in the office? Have we exchanged one assault on religious liberty from secularists for another from evangelicals? Time will certainly tell. We need to understand something important. Campaign rhetoric and the realities of the geopolitical situation can be quite different. Keep in mind that voters cast their votes based on their own personal situation. They vote for what they think will benefit them the most. They were not voting on some grand strategic vision about America's place and power in the world. They were voting on jobs and the economy which directly affects them. There will be geopolitical constraints that Mr. Trump will have to face if he tries to shred the deal with Iran or tear up the trade agreements across the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans, which he essentially said he would do. In fact, these things are not likely to happen. The president, however, can be much more effective in adjusting domestic policy. Renegotiating foreign policy is much more difficult. And herein lies the danger. While on one hand, globalization will not suffer as much difficulty under Trump as all the tough talk suggested during the campaign, on the other, domestic policy may make a big swing away from its moorings on key social and moral issues like abortion or separation of church and state, and move into the specter of a darker and more sinister state of affairs. While some things will be good, others will be quite the opposite, especially if the mob mentality that often arises in a democracy gains traction and calls for more stringent requirements to satisfy religious demands. We need to understand this prophetic threat more clearly. What I'm saying is that Donald Trump and his Vice President Mike Pence 
have more potential to bring in religious laws such as a national Sunday law with a Republican-stacked Congress and a more conservative judiciary once it is in place than he does to dismantle the globalist progress. On top of that, Mike Pence is the most powerful Christian supremacist in American history, said one blogger, raised a Catholic and later converted at an evangelical music concert, Pence's strong Christian views are viewed by many as radical and right-wing. They think of Pence as one of the most valiant warriors in the Trump Trojan horse, as they call it. Pence and his associates want a God-led government and a biblical capitalism, the economic system they believe God ordains. Pence is also against abortion, certain gay rights, or at least gay marriage, and believes in torture, warrantless surveillance, and no congressional oversight of the CIA. Pence was the chairman of the Republican Study Committee from 2005 to 2007, one of the largest Republican caucuses in Congress, which has organized to serve the purpose of advancing a conservative social and economic agenda in the House of Representatives. Pence's Political Action Committee's name tells us something about his orientation. Principles exalt a nation. Will he be a Christian crusader? David Barton, a prominent Christian activist and president of Wall Builders, as in Nehemiah's Wall, an organization dedicated to making the U.S. government reflect biblical values in its public policies, said in June, We may look back in a few years and say, Wow, Trump really did some things that none of us expected. What would those unexpected things be? Would it surprise some that voted for Trump that they might include Sunday worship? Sunday observance, which is associated with biblical values in the minds of most Christians, is not actually biblical at all. But it is from the enemy in defiance of God. While Rome still influences the world in favor of its social teaching and social constructs with varying degrees of success, it remains a powerful influence on the U.S. domestic policy. Will Rome find a friend in Mike Pence like they had with Joe Biden? Donald Trump had a meeting with over a thousand evangelicals early in his campaign. He let it be known that if they voted for him and he won the presidency, he would work to do away with the time-honored Johnson Amendment to the IRS code that prevents religious 501c3 organizations like churches and educational institutions from political advocacy and from endorsing candidates for public office. The meeting was intended initially for about a hundred evangelical leaders, but quickly grew to a thousand after a tidal wave of interest. Former Republican presidential hopeful and former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee told Trump during the meeting, people had come because they want someone who will lead this nation out of the abyss. Speaking of the restrictions being placed on Christian-run businesses to avoid services for gay and lesbian weddings, providing offensive health care services to their employees, among other violations of freedom, Trump said, The next president is going to be very vital in freeing up your religion, freeing up your thoughts, Trump said. You really don't have religious freedom. Pastors are petrified, Trump added. And speaking of the Johnson Amendment, we are going to get rid of that. Trump said, though he did not specify how he would change the law. Trump told the crowd, you're the most powerful group in the country, but you have to band together. And after the meeting, Trump 
then appointed a steering committee of religious leaders to assist him in navigating the campaign and beyond, including Tony Perkins, James Dobson, Bob Vanderplatz, Kenneth Copeland, and Gary Bauer. Speaking of Kenneth Copeland, on election night, he did a live web broadcast called America Stands Election Coverage in the Spirit of Faith. Copeland said he will have direct access to the President of the United States because he's a member of Donald Trump's Faith Advisory Council. Listen carefully to what he said. I have no doubt if something were to really strike my heart, if God really showed me something that I felt like and that the Lord would say, you deliver this, I have no doubt that I could deliver it. And that was not true in President's past, even though we had influence in some areas and in some ways. I am totally convinced that if the Lord were to say something to me that the president needs to hear, he said, I have no doubt that we could do it and do it quickly and have audience to say, thus saith the Lord, and he wouldn't just turn it over to an aide or something and just write it off. He would listen and it would mean something to him. Does that give you chills, my friends? Remember, Kenneth Copeland is working very closely with the Pope to unite with Rome in a broad ecumenical alliance between Pentecostals and the Catholic Church. Will Kenneth Copeland play a part in preparing for a National Sunday Law in the United States? With a direct line to the President, do you have any idea how dangerous that would be for God's people? Remember, Pentecostalism is directly linked to spiritualism. Listen to this quote from The Great Controversy, page 590 and 591. The miracle-working power manifested through spiritualism will exert its influence against those who choose to obey God rather than men. Communication from the spirits will declare that God has sent them to convince the rejectors of Sunday of their error, affirming that the laws of the land should be obeyed as the law of God. They will lament the great wickedness in the world and second the testimony of religious teachers that the degraded state of morals is caused by the desecration of Sunday. Great will be the indignation excited against all who refuse to accept their testimony. Friends, after eight years of aggressive anti-Christian social agendas being pushed by the Obama administration, evangelicals are desperate to change the direction of America to a more conservative, religiously supportive nation. But that brings with it some unneeded baggage. The unspoken question, the elephant in the room, so to speak, is whether evangelicals will use their newfound power to press for Sunday legislation. Trump effectively promised evangelicals that under his leadership things would be different for Christians in America. That can be very dangerous, prophetically speaking. Trump has promised to dismantle the wall of separation between church and state. He promised to give evangelicals the power to spend unlimited amounts of tax-exempt money on political candidates. These promises led to very strong support for Donald Trump's campaign and certainly influenced the end result. I said, I'm going to take this into my own hands and I'm going to figure a way that we can get you back your freedom of speech, Trump told evangelical pastors on one occasion. It will be so great for the evangelicals, for the pastors, for the ministers, for the priests, for America. The power you have is enormous. It's not like you represent 2% of the country and it's going to be difficult. You're probably 75, 80%.
If you want to put your full weight, I mean, can you imagine if all your people start calling up the local congressman and the local senator? Did you hear that about priests, my friends? Nothing but the ecumenical movement of which these evangelicals are a part could have brought on those comments. Trump's rallies were more like faith-based festivals, said one pundit. This wasn't politics as an end. It was politics as a means to something else, though it never became clear what that something else was. Could it be that that something else is Sunday legislation? Trump promised the evangelical pastors that by abolishing the prohibition on churches spending tax-exempt money on political advocacy, it would reverse the slow, steady decline in church attendance and public attitudes towards Christian beliefs in the United States. And if you look what's happened to religion, he said, if you look at what's happening to Christianity and you look at the number of people going to churches, it's on a climb of slow and steady in the wrong direction. A lot of it has to do with the fact that you've been silenced. You've been silenced like a child has been silenced. Friends, one of the key arguments for the future Sunday law is to get America back to God and back to church. And Trump appealed to church leaders on this basis. You have a chance to do something that will be earth-shaking, he added. I literally mean that, he said. Earth-shaking. You got to get your people out to vote. Little did he realize that evangelical support for a Sunday law would cause a shaking in God's church as well. <laughs> evangelical megachurch pastor Robert Jeffress said, The Bible has called for a strong man such as Trump in the White House. He may not be perfect, but he's ours. Trump's proposal to change the 501c3 tax rules wasn't a mistake. It was a well-planned move designed to put him in the White House at the expense of a time-honored principle of the American Constitution, the separation of church and state. Evangelicals are unhappy about being marginalized in American politics. Trump's response was, I will be the greatest representative of the Christians they've had in a long time. Friends, that is ominous. Is it conceivable that Trump will start to impose religious laws at some point during his presidency? While all this is unclear at this point in time, we are looking at a potential crisis for God's people should circumstances unfold in such a way as to open the door for evangelicals to demand Sunday legislation. Just think about how suddenly all the elements are now ripe. They are all stacked in favor of religious legislation should there be a catalyst that would push America over the edge. And here's another thing to think about at the dawn of a Trump presidency. The United States has been steadily moving away from the rule of law toward the rule of the mob. The rule of the mob always leads to the rule of a dictator. When the Bible says that America will act like Rome in the exercise of power, we will soon see the fulfillment of all the prophecies described in Revelation 13 come to pass. It may or not be during a Trump presidency, but the circumstances are clearly staged. The anger of most Americans toward their rulers is what propelled Donald Trump to the White House. And though it wasn't so much that all those Trump voters really want Trump, it's that they think that anything is better than Obama and Clinton. Clinton was seen as one of the establishment elites. She was seen as of the same political cloth as President Obama. Now that the voters have handed Trump the White House and the Republican Party, the House of Representatives, and the Senate, 
There is no doubt that they have given Donald Trump a mandate to act in their interests. Now that the U.S. Constitution has been undermined substantially, what is to stop Donald Trump from his own form of author authoritarian rulership? My friends, the Bible says that it is the God of heaven that rules over the kingdoms of men. It is the Most High that sets up kings and takes them down. Listen to this from Daniel chapter 4.17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. This is saying that the holy angels watch over the kingdoms. That tells me that the angels are watching this election. But it is also clear that God sets up rulers, and often they are the basest of men. They are the most selfish, the most corrupt, and the most immoral. Even politically conservative rulers, who are often the most hypocritical, are put in power to test them and see how they will lead. God's purposes are often hidden in the shadows, my friends. It is not wise for us to get involved in any political schemes. We may well end up fighting God, or at least engaging with people who will fight God. And frankly, I was amazed at how many of God's people voted. Politicians change. They say one thing to get your vote, and then they do something else. If you think that Donald Trump will fulfill all the things he promised, you're deluded. He very quickly backed away from some of the key pillars of his platform, and that was even before he became president. We need to be watching heaven through Bible prophecy, my friends, not the latest poll. It is Bible prophecy that accurately describes what to expect from presidents and prime ministers. And what is that? It is collaboration with the papacy and the merchants of the earth to array the world against God's law. Think about it. There is no other destiny. That's why the U.S. President and the Federal Reserve Banks worked to help Goldman Sachs and other key banks during the economic crisis of 2008. They were working together to keep the illicit relationship between the merchants of the earth and the papacy strong. Goldman is closely tied to the Vatican. And since the liberals have now had eight years to ply their hand, apparently heaven decided to change at least some matters through the political system. Let us not forget that there are higher powers in the unseen world that are involved in this struggle. They're engaged in human affairs. The United States, which has been waning in geopolitical power and prestige during the last eight years, will become great in global power once again. How and when this will happen remains to be seen. But keep in mind that as President Obama de-emphasized America's military might, he ratcheted up America's persecuting power aggressively for the first time in American history, as he confronted churches and religious groups and organizations by pressuring them to yield to his social agenda with regard to health care and gay rights. Donald Trump's campaign slogan was, Make America Great Again. He upended American politics in the process of winning the White House, how this will play out is unclear, but he certainly could fulfill the prophecy that declares that the United States will exercise all the power of the first beast. Is America going to reach that point under a Trump presidency in which it will exercise all the power of the first beast? Will Donald Trump dismantle the offensive legislation of Obamacare or perhaps the Affordable Care Act altogether? Will he overthrow Roe v. Wade, the abortion ruling of the Supreme Court many years ago? 
Will he change the way America relates to gay marriage and the transgender bathroom issue? And lastly, will he break down the wall of separation between church and state? I thought it was rather prophetically ironic that just before the election, Time magazine displayed a cover that featured Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton holding a sign that said, The end is near. Do you think that was prophetic? <laughs> it sure was, though Time's editors probably had no idea how prescient that picture was. While Donald Trump doesn't have a lot of political favors from interest groups to repay, he does have to face one very formidable one, the evangelicals. Will the Trump presidency be pressured by religious interest groups to strengthen churches so much that they will demand Sunday laws to recover America's spiritual greatness? If Trump is planning to make America great economically, militarily, and in foreign policy, why not make America great spiritually, too, according to the thinking of the evangelicals? Think about it. Donald Trump comes to the U.S. presidency at a time of great danger. Terrorism still targets Americans. War in the Middle East continues. Economic issues are straining the nation's finances. And a new spirit of mob behavior is growing. And the ecumenical movement has nearly reached its maturity. Social problems continue to make an impact on the thinking of many people. Some very big issues are at stake. How will Trump react to these things? How will the evangelicals that put him in office put pressure on him? And how will the Vatican pressure him? The Vatican's always in play in American politics, no matter who is president. They're already planning their strategy. In fact, the bishops have already begun to urge Mr. Trump to adopt humane policies toward immigrants and refugees. In fact, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops said, serving and welcoming people fleeing conflict and violence is part of our identity as Roman Catholics. Church leaders said they would continue to offer that aid. The bishops also noted that conscience rights for people who do not want to recognize same-sex marriage or comply with other laws they consider immoral. Remember that Donald Trump made campaign promises that would fly in the face of Roman Catholicism, such as build a wall to control illegal immigration from Latin America? But the bishops know that building a wall is economically and politically not viable. So they rose above the rhetoric to strategically place themselves in a position to influence Donald Trump when he becomes president. Don't allow the government to define what integrity of faith means, said Archbishop Joseph Kurtz, president of the U.S. Bishops' Conference. He was concerned that government has been doing this under the Obama administration in violation of the First Amendment. So he's already sending messages to Mr. Trump. Friends, we should be praying earnestly that the angels will hold back the winds of strife. Let us remember that we are living in sobering times, times that require spiritual vigilance, times that require steady confidence in God, times that require strength of character in living righteous lives. The end is near indeed. Donald Trump is not going to solve America's problems. My guess is, like most politicians and presidents before him, he'll make them worse. Government has no solutions to national problems. Only God can solve these problems. But he only holds back the winds of strife so that his people can do their work. Now let us summarize the big issues that have brought America to the point where it is possible that there will be a major shift in religious attitudes leading to legislation for a Sunday law. 
First, the ecumenical movement is reaching for new heights. The churches are collaborating with Rome like never before. They are preparing to unite on Sunday worship, since that is about the only thing on which they can all actually agree. Secondly, presidents, Congress, and the courts have all undermined the rule of law for several decades now. It is being replaced by the rule of the mob that demands action and will not be satisfied by political speeches and mere token arrangements. Political leaders have redefined the representative republic, which they now call a democracy. Majoritarianism, or the rule of the majority, is essentially mob rule. Take note of the riots and demonstrations that have taken place in the wake of the Trump election. Third, the United States now has a Congress in which Republicans control both houses. Yes, many of them have capitulated to Obama over and over again in his globalist and elitist agendas, but they are just as prone to rolling over and playing dead when assaults come from the right, just as it was with the left. Fourth, Donald Trump and Mike Pence are supported by one special interest group, mainly the evangelicals. They are essentially the only ones to which they really owe something, and they will not let them forget it. At the same time, financial difficulties, terrorism, war, and other issues that plague America could easily escalate to become part of the foundation for religious leaders to insist on a Sunday law, especially if there's a major existential crisis. Friends, it's time to get ready for Jesus to come. The coalition of so many of these things causes me to be deeply concerned that God's people aren't ready yet. This is the time, my friends, to make certain that your calling and election is sure. It is vital that you unite yourself with Christ, who is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, working to give you victory over the enemy. Yes, he is interceding for you, but he is also planning to teach you how to live in the sight of a holy God without a mediator, to give you victory over every sin and wrongful motive. Please, my friends, let Christ have your life. We may not have much time left. In fact, I'm certain that we don't. We must have spiritual maturity with victory over all of Satan's temptations through Christ. We must live for him at all times. We at Keep the Faith will be watching the progress of the new U.S. president. We'll keep you informed concerning the implications of events in light of Bible prophecy, and we will keep on urging you to give your life to Christ and live for him. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for revealing to us the principles of prophecy that are prevalent in the world today. We see that our time on earth is nearing its end. We see in our new president some very ominous circumstances that seem to suggest that we are near the end. We see our need to get ready. We pray that we will have the presence of Christ in our lives and his power to resist Satan's wicked and evil temptations. We do not want to be lost, so we plead that as your people, living in the most compelling time in earth's history, we will be free of the enemy's power. Give us true discernment, true righteousness, and may we live in such a way as to be a bright light to others around us. In Jesus' name, Amen. silver or gold I'd rather
riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand than to be
We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you so much for your support. The song you've just heard is called I'd Rather Have Jesus, sung by Christian Berdahl. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Consecration. This lovely CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry. If you would like to have a copy of this CD or copies for your friends and family, just send $16 each postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we'll gladly send them. Please mention the Consecration CD. Our international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, British Parliament drops plans to liberalize Sunday shopping. The British Parliament has dropped its plans to increase Sunday shopping hours after they were rejected by MPs. The House of Commons voted 317 to 266 to oppose proposals that would allow local councils to extend opening hours. Government ministers hope to limit the rebellion of 27 Tory MPs by promising to trial the changes in 12 areas of the country, but said after the vote that they would respect the MPs' views. Critics of the plan said they would chip away at Sunday's special status and put undue pressure on workers. The government had hoped to relax existing restrictions on Sunday trading, which limit large shops to opening for a maximum of six hours. But their plans were thwarted by an unlikely alliance of the Labour Party and others. The fight for Sunday closing laws continues as the European Sunday Alliance unites Catholic organizations, labor unions, government participants and others for the protection of Sunday rest. These attempts at Sunday closing laws will eventually lead to Sunday worship laws as well, and also anti-Sabbath laws. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Revelation 13, verse 8. Next, Cardinal Dolan uses acrimonious U.S. campaign to promote the Catholic Church. The Alfred E. Smith Memorial Fund Dinner is a white-tie fundraiser for Roman Catholic Charities. It is held at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel and hosted by the Alfred E. Smith family and the Roman Catholic Cardinal of New York. This year's list of invitees to the 71st annual dinner included presidential candidates Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. The only thing between the two presidential rivals was Cardinal Dolan himself, with whom they shared the meal and the days. Normally, the dinner speeches are something of a roast, with the speakers lightheartedly ridiculing themselves and teasing each other. 
But Donald Trump skewered Hillary Clinton with harsh criticism and was booed by the audience. Though the media skewered Trump in return, the Catholic Church took advantage of the opportunity to hobnob with the very wealthy attendees. The Al Smith dinner dates back to 1945, honoring the legacy of the nation's first Roman Catholic presidential candidate. The toxic remarks created a lot of tension at the dinner, but Cardinal Dolan eased the tension and reminded those wealthy Wall Street executives and other influential people why they had gathered together to support the Catholic charities, particularly the children they help, he said. And though the latest release of hacked emails from the Clinton campaign has led to allegations of a deep-seated anti-Catholic bias in the Democratic Party, Cardinal Dolan was able to raise a record-breaking $6 million for needy children. Trump's questionable stance on abortion has Catholic voters in a knot as well. If there's one thing that both this election cycle has revealed, it's that something is seriously wrong with the way we do politics, wrote Crux. Yet despite the grim circumstances, the refreshing reminder from last night was that even in the midst of such contentiousness, the Catholic Church still has the ability to bring people together and offer hope and a better way of engaging the world around us. Dolan used the acrimony between the candidates to suggest that it won't necessarily be a political campaign that will be there to meet the needs of the poor. It will be the church. And all the world wondered. Revelation 13, verse 3. Next, the European Union pushes climate change agreement to the brink. The European Union states agreed on Friday, September 30, to fast-track joint ratification of the Paris Climate Accord, pushing the landmark papal deal to the brink of entering into force. The agreement of the environment ministers of all 28 member states, which still includes Britain, marks a rare political breakthrough for the disunited bloc. Pope Francis pushed very hard publicly for the almost 200 nations of the world represented at Paris to sign the accord which would guide a radical shift away from fossil fuels globally and slash greenhouse gases to pre-industrial times. The Pope staked his credibility on getting the agreement in Paris. And now the agreement between the European environment ministers to ratify the Paris Pact is a very big win for the Vatican too, especially since it is Europe that is bringing it into force. Europe is Rome's ancient and religious political patrimony. What some believed impossible is now real, tweeted European Council President Donald Tusk. European Climate Commissioner Miguel Arias Canetti hailed it a historic decision. In difficult times, we get our act together, he said. EU approval is an important milestone because it would push the deal over the threshold required for ratification of 55 nations representing at least 55% of global emissions. China and the United States, the top emitters, ratified the pact in October. The way the EU came to its conclusion is anything but democratic. While some members have already ratified the Paris Pact, others have not. And Poland objected to signing the pact because it wants concessions for its own reasons. However, when the environmental ministers got together, they found a way to collectively ratify the Paris Pact without waiting for all members to do so in their own parliaments. France's minister called it institutional creativity. 
The European agreement to ratify the accord brings the number of nations needed to sign over the threshold of 55. India also signed the agreement on October 2, pushing the percentage of greenhouse gases represented to 52, very near the 55% threshold needed for the agreement to enter into force. After both thresholds are met, the Paris Pact goes into force in 30 days. President Obama unconstitutionally ratified the agreement, which is really a treaty, without the approval of the U.S. Senate. One wonders how much Vatican representatives have worked with the world leaders behind the scenes to get the climate pact ratified. And all the world wondered after the beast. Revelation 13, verse 3. Next, gender fluidity. Defining one's gender based on self-perception is rapidly gaining acceptance within governments, academic institutions, and the business world. The UK's National Health Service website states that biological sex is assigned at birth, depending on the appearance of the genitals. Gender identity is the gender that a person identifies with or feels themselves to be. It explains that gender dysphoria is a mismatch between one's biological sex and gender identity. Young people are increasingly challenging gender stereotypes. In a recent U.S. survey of 1,000 18 to 34-year-olds by Fusion, a multi-platform media company that targets a young and diverse audience, 50% believe that gender is not binary, that is limited to male or female. When The Guardian, a British daily, invited millennials to define their gender, they received a variety of responses. My gender is an evolving thing, like my sexuality, said Peyton Quinn, 24. The more I explore it, the more it changes. The only reason why I feel I should put a label on it is just to make it easier for other people. Cam, 20, from Ireland, has experienced as many as 10 different genders, including male, female, bigender, and agender. Yesterday, I came across another word, fluid flux. This fits me because I experience several genders, but they vary in intensity, he said. They are socially constructed genders inasmuch as I would probably have described them differently in another civilization. But the feeling is still innate. So how many subjective gender identities currently exist? Tumblr, a social media site, has listed 112 genders and 70 sexual orientations. The site encourages users to feel free to mix and match your own prefixes and suffixes to create the identity that best describes you. When gender is defined as a feeling, not as a biology, there's no end to the ensuing confusion and we're plunged into a world void of any meaningful reality. Gender fluidity is also a direct attack on God, who created both male and female to express his image. See Genesis 1.26. Earlier civilizations who turned aside from God's express commands about sexuality and gender experienced the natural consequences of this rebellion. God gave them over, the Bible says, to a reprobate mind, a mind void of conscience, lawless, to do those things which are not convenient or fitting. Romans 1.28 And as we witness this rapid descent into the darkest forms of human thinking and behavior, we must love the confused, but we must not join their confusion. 
Looking down to the last days, the same infinite power declares concerning those who receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. As they reject the teachings of His word, God withdraws His spirit and leaves them to the deceptions which they love. Early Writings, page 45. Next, guess who will soon be in charge of the United Nations? The United Nations Security Council has unanimously selected a committed Roman Catholic and human rights advocate as their nominee for Secretary General of the International Organization. Antonio Guterres from Portugal has been the High Commissioner for Refugees at the UN where he oversaw aid and assistance for more than 60 million refugees and displaced persons. I have two words to describe what I'm feeling now. Gratitude and humility, he said. The 193-member UN General Assembly approved Guterres' nomination. He is expected to begin his tenure as UN Secretary General January 1, 2017, by replacing the outgoing Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, who has served two five-year terms. Guterres is a skilled diplomat. Importantly, previous to his work at the UN, Guterres helped found Portugal's Socialist Party and served as head of the party and the country's wildly popular prime minister from 1995 to 2002. The party suffered a humiliating defeat in 2002 and he resigned in disgrace. While prime minister, he helped overturn attempts to legalize abortion in Portugal, a key Roman Catholic issue. Guterres became president of the Socialist International, a global network of national socialist parties seeking to establish democratic socialism around the globe. While in that role, he helped to fund the brutal and violent Sandinista Communist Party in Nicaragua. In 2005, Guterres was appointed to the United Nations to handle the world's refugees. While in that role, he presided over the worst migrant crisis since World War II the flood of migrants from the Middle East into the EU. As refugee czar in 2015, Guterres, in line with the Vatican position on Muslim migrants, demanded that EU nations open their borders and welcome the migrants from the Middle East, saying that the EU must mobilize full force for the crisis, calling it a defining moment. Nearly two million Muslim refugees have flooded into Europe so far bringing chaos and massive social problems with them. Guterres was nominated for UN Secretary General by representatives of the 15-member Security Council, which includes the United States, United Kingdom, France, Russia, and China, along with 10 temporary members from around the world. His socialist credentials, apparently, prevented Russia using their veto in the Security Council. Though a socialist, Guterres is a Catholic conservative and has opposed abortion and same-sex marriage and has raised concerns about the LGBT movement, causing some opposition to his candidacy for the Secretary General by those who support those things. These Roman Catholic issues will no doubt play a role during his term at the UN. The Vatican is a socialist organization that encourages nations to socialize and globalize politically. The United Nations is a globalist organization that is working to become the ruling world body politic, while Rome stands in the wings 
waiting to influence UN decisions through committed Roman Catholic and socialist leaders like Guterres. And all the world wondered, Revelation 13, verse 3. Next, Ireland, another bakery under pressure from gays. A local court rejected an appeal from a bakery to overturn a ruling that they had discriminated against a gay customer by refusing to bake a cake, promoting support for same-sex marriage, this time in Ireland. Asher's Baking Company in Belfast had been found guilty of discrimination last May after the Northern Ireland Equality Commission brought a lawsuit against the bakery for refusing to bake a cake decorated with the words, Support Gay Marriage. Asher's argued that it was happy to serve customers of any sexual orientation, but baking such a cake would violate the owner's religious beliefs because the message on the cake would represent an endorsement of the lifestyle. The defendants are not a religious organization, said District Judge Isabel Brownlee on the original ruling. They conduct a business for profit. As much as I acknowledge their religious beliefs, this is a business to provide service to all. The law says they must do that. The appeals court ruled against the bakery as well, saying that Asher's had indeed discriminated against the customer and violated British human rights law. The fact that a baker provides a cake for a particular team or portrays witches on a Halloween cake does not indicate any support for either, said Lord Chief Justice Sir Declan Morgan in the appeals court ruling. Northern Ireland is the only part of the United Kingdom where same-sex marriage is not permitted. Activists are pushing hard to legalize it there, too. The controversy over the cake, which was first sparked in 2014, when gay activist Gareth Lee ordered the cake, perhaps to test the bakery's beliefs. The bakery accepted, then canceled the order. If you're a person of faith and choose to trade in the commercial realm, the judge has said that you have a responsibility too, said Equality Commission Director Michael Wardlaw. Gays will not stop with trampling the conscience of business owners. In some places, they are already coming after churches. Some laws are bad laws and lead to consequences that violate the conscience rights of Christians and others. But gays are not concerned about tolerating those that disagree with them. They demand equality even in the realm of conscience. Religious freedom, particularly the freedom to live by one's religious beliefs in the marketplace, will fade away under anti-discrimination laws and equal rights commissions. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.